you know, I talk about this a lot, but this is a new lens, new angle, this is a new opportunity, and I am so excited for you all to hear from my friend, Eric. He is a trailblazer, and that's what this podcast, Fit in Faith, is for, founders, innovators, and trailblazers. And he has a vision, a bigger vision than what some can really grasp hold of, but for the last 12 years, he's developed a nonprofit and recently became an author to what folks look like. Use your pain to fuel your purpose, and it is a, a blueprint for you to develop a nonprofit without all the red tape and crazy encyclopedia or Leviticus terms and actually say yes to with the purpose and passion that God has given for you and you alone. And so I know you're going to not only love the stories that he shares about his backstory instruction and losing it all and fleeing to Costa Rica and ultimately discovering hope. And so you have to tune in. There are so many one-liners. Need a pen and paper for this one. You also need to follow Eric at The Newman Experience. And be sure to buy his book. You guys know as a new author to uh, my book, Always Becoming, when it's out there into the world, it feels like the birth of baby. And it feels really sad when no one's buying your baby <laughs> when they're so cute and so much work has gone into the birthing process. So be sure to buy his book. All of the links are listed below. And go and leave a review, not only for the book, but also for this podcast, something so passionate about we're about to enter into season four which feels wild but first before we go any further have to touch base with everything thank you for being here brother it's incredible to share space with you welcome to the fit and faith podcast fit is an acronym representing founders innovators and trailblazers who are looking to live a life Holy, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, My desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Hey, 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 we are live and in action with Eric Newman from Rock Solid Foundation and the newest author to What Hope Looks Like. And I am so excited for you guys to get to meet him today. Thanks for being here, Eric. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I love the energy just from the promo video. I love it. I I needed some of this energy in in my life today. You know, it's a Monday and Mondays can have those vibes sometimes, but I feel like if we consistently show up in in the gift and calling that God has us, the energy continues to create momentum in not only our lives, but the lives of millions and many. And you have done that time and time again over the course of your story. And so I'm excited for people to hear that. Um, we've, we've sat at coffee shop together at this point. We've shared a stage together at this point. Um, you've signed my copy of my book, but but I've yet to sign my copy of my book for you. And so it's I'm just a fun it. I'm, season. I'm ready. I know we're in a really fun <laughs> season and it's cool that God connected us for such a time as this. 
Uh, 100%. And I am, I'm looking for the, I have the pen ready for you to sign my copy too. So it's, uh, the feeling is mutual, super exciting time. Yeah, it really is. So I want to I want to go back to the time where it wasn't so exciting um, for those who have yet to hear and, and meet you and and really uh, get ingrained to your heartbeat and how you show up every single day. Um, so we're going to kind of take you guys back to something somber and then we'll re-energize you in the mist because we're still here breathing. So there's purpose in that. And so let's let's chat right. through it. Yeah, man. Super. Um, so. I guess from the question standpoint of what was somber, really the pain um, that I have experienced is that my family, I'm a childhood cancer survivor. My life has been riddled with cancer. Um, I'm 32 years cancer free. I do. I keep tabs on my arm. They are hash marks. It's supposed to look like a jailhouse tattoo. (laughs) It does. It Um, does. When I first saw it. It's supposed to. Yeah, it's supposed to because really anytime that you go through some sort of pain in your life, it can either be your prison or it can be used as a platform to love and serve another human being. So as I was thinking about what best way to be able to remember kind of the pain that I've gone through, that's that's what I did come up with was just the hash marks on my, um, like I was in some sort of jail cell. So it's fun to tell people it does look like a, a prison tattoo. Yeah, well, but it's really not the, like the tear stains, right? Like sometimes it's like- it's no, that There's no tear drops. I don't, I don't, those are just wrinkle stains for me right now. It's no tear <laughs> drops it, right now. It. That's the babies, um, the babies. This, we'll talk this is 13 too. years. This is 13 years of trying to run a nonprofit. So- <laughs> Um, but I'm a, I'm a childhood cancer survivor, and I've beaten the disease for 32 years. I also lost two first cousins to this horrible disease. And I always believe, like, if I can beat cancer, there's anything in this world that I can do. And so I've wanted to start businesses. So I've owned a couple of them, sold a couple of them. And then in 2008, I lost my construction company and was at pretty much ground zero, went to Costa Rica for a little bit. And that's where I combined two parts of my life, my cancer journey and my construction knowledge. And we started Rock Solid Foundation in early 2009 um, to build hope for kids fighting pediatric cancer. And to tell you the truth, when I was in Costa Rica, um, I wrestled, my family threw away the word cancer. We never talked about it. And in 2009 or eight, when I was in Costa Rica, I really thought I yelled at God. Like, I was like, you made a mistake. You kept the wrong person. I'm a nobody. But in that moment, um, the word cancer came out, but then the word hope also came out. And so what does hope look like? And really it's rock solid foundation. Um, 13 years, we've been able to love and serve kids fighting cancer. One, uh, the biggest program is building play sets for kids all across the United States. We put play sets in their backyard because that's the first thing taken from a child with cancer. And then the other part is we distribute bags all across the U.S. for families um, on the day that they're diagnosed. Um, we allow the families to stay together with an overnight toiletry bag. So a lot more programming, there is, it, but that's kind of a quick snapshot. And, and you know, I think I want to I want to rewind that snapshot just a bit because when I first opened this book, um, the second part of the title, the subtitle says, "Use your pain to fuel your purpose." And my uh, intro story in this book, which was similar to our time in the coffee shop where I got to know you a bit, was that moment where that little that little person came around the corner after you went to deliver that check. So I, you're such a good storyteller. I want them to experience that a bit. Share share that moment with us. Sure. I had um, just come back from Costa Rica. Uh, one of my buddies found out that I was a cancer survivor. So we raised some money for our local children's hospital. And during that time, um, I went to go present a check 
and one of those really big checks, right? That can barely fit in the elevator. I can't wait um, to do so that. I haven't done that it's, yet. It's, I love it. It is. It's amazing. The check was so big. It's funny. The graphic designer was like, I couldn't afford the print. All I could afford was the check. So I wrote in a Sharpie and the check was so big. I kind of had to fold it up to get in the elevator and it smeared all the ink all over the place. Uh, so again, like, but again, this is just part right? of, it is. It, this, is the, this is the part of kind of my whole story. Uh, it's right. just trial and error. Uh, but so as I'm sitting there, it was a day that um, a grocery store chain donated like one point, I think it was like 1.4 million. And my check was for 7,000, which is great, but they allowed the 1.4 million check to go before me. And I was pouting, right? That's when I threw the smeared check. Yeah. Um, but so in my pouting, they didn't even have adult chairs for me. So it was like, I set one of the little kid kid chairs and I'm waiting. And so then finally this kid comes around the corner. I hear it. I hear this god awful racket. It's like, well, what that noise is, is an IV pole. And so a kid ran as fast as he could, came around the corner, stopped right in front of me. So attached to him was the IV pole but attached to the IV pole was the mama bear hanging onto the IV pole. And she asked me what I was doing there sitting awkwardly in front of in an awkward kid chair. Um, but for the first time in my life, I told that mama bear the story that I had been given about being a cancer survivor. And from that, yep, sorry, somebody, so again, we're in my warehouse and people are popping in and out. So, um, but Real time. <laughs> hey man, I told you trial and error. So as I'm sitting there, this mama bear is talking to me and I proceeded to tell her about my cancer journey that I'd been given. And Tamara, for the first time in my life, it didn't come out as pain. It came out as purpose. And I told her that I was a cancer survivor. I was 27 at the time. And when she, she said the words that changed everything for me, she said, do you, you give me and my husband hope that my son will be sitting in your seat one day? And in that moment, I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to do, but I knew exactly why I was supposed to do it. I was supposed to stand in the gap for parents. When they look at me, they see that there is future hope for their child. And I think that that, that changed everything for me. Again, like what we're going to do, I don't know. We'll figure something out. But in that moment, I heard that word hope. And for the first time, when I spoke about cancer and about the journey I've been on, it didn't come out as pain. It came out as hope. As you were sharing that, I was thinking through the the next time that you saw a little one come running out the door, right? Come running towards you. And it was it was during that that first build of of that playset. Will you talk them through like where the idea came from? Because I think a lot of times people have this desire to serve and they have this desire to do right. something bigger than themselves and they have this desire to to seek after even perfection. And, and we get stuck in that, that seek of per perfection versus that seek of progression or that seek of purpose. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's what you did the first time, right? Like I, I can do this construction company really well and, and I can have great success and, and right. it all comes crumbling and you lose your identity because there is not this title or this tag or this sense of authority in what it is that you're doing. But we we know individually, you and I, that there is so much more to identity and purpose and progression, um, imperfect progression, uh, than, than I think maybe all of our listeners might know. So talk us through, how did you uncover purpose after that moment? And, and how did it then establish this nonprofit of Rock Solid? 
so I was, um, I believe if you wait for, for, for perfection, you'll never launch, right? And again, like, I think you have to have a plan, but waiting for perfection is one of the biggest tragedies of any entrepreneur um, that we see a problem, we need to just start, right? Again, you need to have a plan. And over time, I think you become better and better at implementing the plan. Um, but, and it's a framework, but for me, um, the idea of playsets came from swearing that I would never build another playset. I was completely broke. I had that encounter with this mama bear, but I had no idea what to do. So my buddy took advantage of me. He's a real estate agent and he knew that I could build things. Um, he's like, Hey, I have this playset. Um, come build it for me. I'm like, man, I can build houses, pour concrete. I can do this. So I get there. What he didn't tell me is the place that had been left outside for about a year. Um, he dumped all of the nuts and the bolts into one bucket. And I get there. It's the hottest day in July. Um, and so I bring my dad with me. Why? Because he was free labor. I couldn't afford to pay anybody else. <laughs> right. Um, so we get there and I start and I'm like, there's no way I can, all the markings on the place that were wrapped off. It's like going to Ikea without having the instructions come to you, um, come with the purchase. Never, so then, never works out. Never works out. It, it just does not. Right. And so that's, that's, I believe that God has a sense of humor. Um, and so as I'm starting to try to organize this project, I want to quit. I'm like, it's not worth it. This guy can't give me a thousand bucks and it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. I think he agreed to give me like 250 bucks. And so I'd already been there five hours. We hadn't touched anything. And my dad was like, you can't leave. I'm like, yes, I can. I'm an adult. Watch me quit. Like, you can't. I'm an adult. You're my labor this time. Right. <laughs> so my dad was like, look, look in the window. I looked in the window and I saw the top of a little girl's eyes and a blonde bun right on the top of her head. And he was like, I'll pay you more. He said, but you can't let that little girl down. So that was nine hours in. We finally started building this thing. It took about 19 hours. So we came back the next day and it was still hot. And it was at the end of the day, I was, I was irritated. And I looked at my dad and I'm putting the anchor in. I was drilling the anchor in his last anchor. I was like, I will never build another playset until the day I die. Or I will never, like not even the day I die, right? Like I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> nope, nope. And so, but then this little girl bust out the back door. Mind you, she sat there the entire time and watched me. She ate her lunch there. She watched, oh my busted out of the back door, hugged my leg, handed me a check and said, thank you for letting me play. I looked at my dad with tears in my eyes and I was like, I'm supposed to build play sets for kids fighting cancer. <laughs> and my dad's like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like what? Like, and again, I was never really good at school. I put my parents through the ringer. I've always been an entrepreneur all the way since I think I said this at the conference, like selling blow pops in second grade. Like I would go to Sam's club and then mark it up. Right. I just yes, wanted yes. to, I wanted the opportunity, but that little girl, but though it made me realize that no one taught that little girl how to play. No one did, but what she yearned for so much was wanting that playset to be built so she could play. And then I realized I took my life experience and like entrepreneurs, we solve problems. People that run nonprofits, people do business, we solve problems. And I'm like, kids that get diagnosed with cancer are always on the inside looking out. How do we bring play to them? And how do we make sure not a single child loses out on the ability to play? Let's build them a playset right there in their backyard what i got emotional with the first time and then i got emotional the second time that you're sharing this story is the play piece is really important to me and and it's it's super important to me through the word of joy because i feel like it's stripped from society and so many realms of our being 
from a secular perspective. And, and we know that God the Father is a father of joy just as much as he is a father of humor and, and play. And I imagined that it was less about the little kid in that moment that was running to you in both of those scenarios and that it was the reckless pursuit of God that was actually coming to you in human flesh through play, through purpose to literally come to you and ask the questions and come to you and play again, right? And expectancy as they sat there and and waited at the window, looking, just never losing their gaze. It's like the father, like he never loses his gaze. And he's like, I have purpose for you. And it's going to take you really hot, long days to figure it out. And it's going to take you imperfect plans to figure it out. It's going to take you pouring out all the bolts into one place and it's going to be frustrating. And you're going to say, I will never. And he will say, but I will. And so the baby comes out to you and you're like, holy cow, this is it. This is the moment. And I'm still an emotional wreck from the event this past weekend because I feel like that was that moment for me where I realized, you know, I'm such a passionate person when it comes to blending faith and entrepreneurship because the mission field is in the backyard building play sets. The mission field is wherever that purpose is for that person. But until they realize that there's something bigger in that dream and that the kingdom is the bigger, the kingdom is the bigger. And so it's through play and joy that we get to show up to life every day. And now you get to do it and you have done it for it's 13 years of rock solid. Is so, it's, that so I miss it's 12 years. It okay. is 12 years. I'm, I'm again, I don't, I try not to focus on the numbers because yeah, there was a time and like entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> you got to fixate on the numbers. Well, like sometimes for me is like, I would fixate too much on the numbers and yeah. forget about the name. Right. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is 12 years. Um, but it's not, and Tamara, you know, this too, it's not always easy, but it is always worth it. And I think what qualifies you what qualifies me is the burden, right? So that's the part of not the skill set. Yeah. So again, you can teach someone anything, but you can't teach them to care. You can't teach someone, Tamara, what you were able to accomplish with the help of your community. You can't teach that. That's that desire. That's that burden. Now, um, hear me. Anything's you can learn anything, but it's the burden. It's that passion. It's the stuff that keeps you up at night and wakes you up in the morning that qualifies the leader that is able to turn their pain into passion, entrepreneur, stay at home, mom, whatever you name it, whatever, whatever the title that you've been given at this very moment in time. I think that it's there for anyone. We just need to act on it. And it is, it's, it's noticing and understanding those moments that God gives us that then is the catalyst for what he's like, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't need you to grow a national organization. I need you to be faithful. And I need you to pray again. It's my prayer is his promise. And I'm just, I'm praying more than I've ever prayed in my entire life. And I'm seeing his promise come into fulfillment for 12 years. And this amazing journey that he has me on, even meeting you, writing a book, meeting all these amazing people. They're my prayers, his promise. So take me to the point of COVID, right? And and so many businesses went under at that point. And so many promises probably seemed completely broken. 
even through the lens of a Christian who was like, why would you do this to me? Because I know that there are a lot of faith-driven entrepreneurs who lost a lot, but I also got to witness a lot of faith-driven entrepreneurs who, who received a lot during that time. And I, and I feel like you're one of those people. So talk us through that experience and what God did. So that, um, I, that journey really, it was March 13th, just like I can tell you the date. And it was in March of 08 when I lost everything. Um, I do call it the curbside moment um, that again, in construction, I'd lost everything. I'm on the curb with my hands in my head, like not knowing what to do. And I usually like, I can figure some sort of solution out. Well, in March 13th, 2020, um, we got a couple phone calls. My team's in the air. They were flying um, and we had to bring them home. And that's the day I think that the NBA shut down. So on the ride home, got a phone call, probably two phone calls within 10 minutes. We had lost about 200,000 worth of funding um, because people were scared. They were retracting their commitments, which again, hey, listen, I get it. I understand. So that night I... um, couldn't sleep. So I fell asleep because I was out of sheer exhaustion, but I woke up about two 30 in the morning and then I hit my knees and started praying. Um, and then my wife got up with me and hit my knee, hit her knees and started praying as well. And when I, when I got done praying, I didn't have the solution. I didn't have the answer, but I had the peace. And so I knew that with that, through the prayer, I was able to find the peace. And then I showed up the next day, um, and talked to my team and said, Hey, listen, cancer hasn't stopped. Neither will we. And so we started creating scenarios and I came up with this saying of like, if we in this situation right now, by a push of a button, how do we deploy hope? We cannot get to our kids right now, but cancer's still there. How do we provide play? So we created rock solid on demand by a push of a button. We deploy hope throughout the United States. And so we were an expert at building play sets the last 12 years. Um, Corporate America would pay us or to get us to build play sets for them. And then we would then in return accomplish our mission. All that came to a screeching halt. So what we did is we said, okay, how do we fit rock solid on a pallet that we can send to these families to do these projects themselves? And that they we teach their quarantine 10, the 10 people that they're surrounded with, we teach them to love and serve them to build these play sets. So we did, and that cracked a code from a, for us. There is a difference between growth, right? You can grow, but how do you go from growth to scale and not for scale sake, not for just wanting to run a large organization? Because if you're just doing it, just for that fact, in my my opinion, again, everybody has their own opinions. I wasn't doing it for scale's sake. I was doing it like, hey, listen, these kids are passing away and I'm not able to provide play. That's what kept me up at night and what woke me up in the morning. And so the most that we had ever done in-person builds um, up to that point was about 100 builds a year before 2020. Last year alone, during the pandemic, we did 400 rods. So we deployed hope to 400 kids of where I would have usually had to say no. And then we did a hundred of the traditional builds. So last year in a pandemic, we did, no, I'm sorry, 400 total. We did 300 and then a hundred. So in a pandemic, we did 400 play sets. We did more than we had ever done before, but it's because we're married to our mission, not our model. And I think what exposed, what the pandemic exposed was a lot of people married to their model and they had to go back and revisit their mission. And so for us, we're deeply ingrained and rooted into build hope no matter what, no matter where for kids fighting cancer. Mm, this is so good. It, it reminds me actually on, on day one, I was sharing at the Ascend and Assist con- uh, conference that we get often attached to our expectations rather than to committed to the outcome of the expectations mm-hmm. 
right? And right. and I think it's very similar. I love that married to our mission instead of our model. And oftentimes, and I feel you probably will have this experience too, as you go into the coaching realm even more and more, is that people come to you with this idea and they're attached to the model of how that idea is going to deploy. And then God will wreck it all every single time based on <laughs> circumstances, based on yep. situations and based on his sense of humor, which we love so much. Right. And so it's so important for us to really stick to the heart of the why and, and understand that it's so much more than how you do it, but why you do it, uh, that keeps right. you coming back to the, the progression Again, not the perfection, but the progression of the model, because it's going to change. It has to change. Everything's changing around us. If we stay stagnant, the mission dies. And so I right. think that's probably where a lot of people didn't um, have that experience of ebb and flow. They were so stagnant. And this is the only way we can survive. And therefore, they drowned versus right. you were like, OK, there's still a mission to be to be served. How do we do this in a way that is uh, serving them well and maybe even better? And now you have the better model. Well, I think, too, so naturally, right? reaction we react as human beings but i think reaction leads to regret i really do and i've learned that the last 12 years because i've reacted a whole bunch yeah, um, well. but i think when we can respond i think is the way that that we can really do and marrying the mission not the model is the easiest and the best way to keep me grounded in our mission and being able to respond accordingly to like not what's best for eric newman but what's best for our mission really incredible so I'm so excited for that growth and so excited for the book that then took root in that experience. When did you actually start writing this book? Um, about a year and a half ago. Um, okay. So I'm a big time journaler. Again, like yes. you see, you'll never see me without a journal. Um, and I write down a lot of stuff. So I went back and um, edited my journals. Um, I call it a red line audit. I do it every single year. Um, so I'm probably about 15 journals a year right now. And every year in November, I go back and edit my journals and then I, um, I edit and then I circle like, where has God performed miracles? What prayers have come to fruition? What huge changes have I done? So I circle it and then I type it out. And then I have a group of um, individuals that have been sending it to probably for the last five or six years, all of my, my hearts and desires and thoughts. And then they would always say, hey, man, have you ever thought about writing a book? Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I'm like, yes, I just don't have time. So. I went back to 12 years of journaling and did that step, made an outline, typed 14 chapters, and then I submitted it to my editor, and then the hatchet project began, right? Like, gotcha. Of course, um, yeah. So it took me about a year and a half, and it was probably the hardest part for me was the editing side. Um, I don't have much time in my day, so I woke up at 4 a.m. till 6.30 almost every single day of the week, and that's when I did my editing. And then from there, I had a phenomenal team behind me, behind me helping promote and push this book and make it to come into fruition. That is so incredible. Well, I haven't read the whole thing yet in transparency, but the beginning piece is right. so impactful. And one of the things that I love so much, which actually reminds me, and I didn't really realize the parallel for those who are watching, you can see a Polaroid picture on the front that's like, um, taped because it's been broken and ripped in half. It reminds me of the picture that you encourage people to put in um, the right. thing that they open every single day, whether it's your planner, whether it's your Bible, whether whatever that book is that you're currently reading at your placeholder. Talk us through what that is for you, what that picture looks like, and also explain to me a bit more about this ripped Polaroid. 
Yes, I do. So I have I have my Y photo uh, right here. So in our team, we call it our Y photo. In any any event, any meeting that we go to, if I'm asking for a million dollars, right, I walk in with my journal and I put my photo right in front of me. And the reason that I put the photo out that everyone that you work, if you work or join our team, you have to have one um, because we have to make decisions based on that photo, not based on me, not based on the PL report, right? So I and I've said it a lot and I mean we've been blessed, but I'm I'm willing to leverage the bank account for one child. Focus on the one, what you wish you could do for the many. And having that Y photo, I mean I've slid back some money before because it's not what's best for that beautiful little girl. That little girl's name is Abby. It's not what's best for her. Um so we have that and the thing is too what it does it creates a conversation. So I'm in these meetings with CEOs and executives and like they're talking to me right and then you see them catching eye on that photo. And then finally, it's almost like I push it out so they see if they want to say anything for it. And then finally, they're like in front of their whole team. They're like, what is that photo? I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked. Right. So it creates a talking point. It creates an icebreaker. But we do it to make sure we're making the decisions based on them. And where the photo, the cover of the photo, if you look at 2000, it says 2000 or 1985 on one side was the year I was diagnosed with cancer. And 2009 is the year that Rock Solid Foundation was founded. So two portions of my life ripped in part, came back together. And you're right, the, sim- the symbolism, symbolism. So you got me. The symbolism. <laughs> yeah, sorry. He wrote a book. I promise you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love it. But it is. It's like you got to start. You got to know. You got to start with why. Because from that why, again, I like to say it like identify the root, understand the fruit. If you can get that part and you have it constantly in your face, it's already constantly in your head. But sometimes in my head, I allow the things that I shouldn't be like really focusing on that really does not help my shareholder. Right. A lot of me is inside of there. So keeping the photo right at the front is probably one of the most important things for a leader, in my opinion, to do is because I'm a visual person. I like to tell stories. I think that I'm okay with it. I like to bring people along with me. Um, but I need to see it, touch it, feel it. And I think that's the best strategy for it. We all have a story, bits and pieces of ourselves that we keep hidden from the world in worry, chasing perfectionism instead of progression, chasing materialism instead of worth, chasing the hourglass figure instead of health, chasing accolades and American dreams instead of wealth. Chasing relationships rather than intimacy. Chasing lies instead of the truth. We stand naked and afraid, unknown and covered in shame. But I refuse to let Pandora's box let us stay stifled and lame. Destined to live a life of freedom, integrity, and love. Unshackled and beautiful, worthy and known from above. His promises are in the rainbow. Past the storm or in it, we stand secure. Not alone, together, women, we endure. Always becoming. So a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this podcast, business owners, um, faith-driven business owners. And my curiosity, because I know when people have an idea, oftentimes, especially from coaching clients for myself, they come and they want to start a nonprofit because it's like this noble thing to do. 
And it feels like it would be great because they can get grant money and they can have sponsors and it's easy to have somebody write them a check because it's a write-off and all of these things. <laughs> but we know that there's a lot more to it than that. Um, however, you have been able to kind of create this ability that strips away the difficulties because there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of the 501c3 process. The time to do that is even in, in very invasive and expansive. How have you broken it down so that more people can do this and more people can do this profitably? So the way that we broke it down specifically in the book is like it took me about three years to really figure out and to put together the bylaws to form the board of directors. A lot of the the not fun stuff, um, that's the stuff I call it the dip. That's where most people that want to start a business or a nonprofit because Rock Solid Foundation, I want you to hear me and I, you know this about me. Um, we run it. We run Rock Solid Foundation like a Fortune 500 company. The difference is my shareholders are right here. That's why I need to make as much money as possible. So we run Rock Solid Foundation like a Fortune 500 company. And for those um, of you but, watching or listening, not watching, he's showing that picture that we just talked about. And there's a, oh, little, sorry. a little person. Her name is yeah. Abigail. Abby. 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 And yeah. so do you have to just know that like to have a child as a shareholder, what does that mean and how does that work? And so this is where he's taking us into that experience. Oh, sorry. I see. I get to see your amazing. Face. I know. I, I know. Sometimes. I'm here for you. Um, I got but you. it is. It's it's the it's the fact of like um, really breaking it down. It's a roadmap because I see a lot of and I've helped a lot of people start their nonprofits and I've seen a lot of people quit in the dip. And I think that's a huge, a huge sacrifice or not huge sacrifice, tragedy for people that want to take their pain and turn it into their purpose. And so this book just creates a roadmap. I didn't like anything I saw on search engines um, about how to start a nonprofit. And it took me about three years. And so writing this book, I'm like, well, what if there was a one stop shop? What if I think is one of the most powerful questions that any entrepreneur can ask, right? Because it has what if has fear on it. And then it has the other side, which is potential. So you choose which side you want to live on. And so what if there was a book that would allow someone to get to loving and serving their community a lot faster than what I did in there? I, they don't have to make the same mistakes about creating a logo that's, spelled, that's called Rock Solid, right? Which is great, R-O-C. But then when people Google it, it should be R-O-C-K. Like it's all these little pitfalls that I found on how to really start the nonprofit. But then also what I have found too is that um, a lot of development, right? Fundraising is extremely challenging for nonprofits. Even for us now, it's still like, it's that mentality. I'm a professional beggar and that's okay. <laughs> I'm not asking for yeah. me, I'm asking for kids fighting cancer. Yeah. But the easiest way that I think that um, for your organization to become profitable, if you want, and use the word profit, I think is extremely important to use in nonprofits. Um, you need to make money, no money, no mission, no money, no mission. I'm going to say it again. No money, no mission is to make sure that you bring people into the community. You show people, you see it, touch it, feel it is the best strategy that you can use. Run it like a Fortune 500 organization, but make sure you get the foundational parts of your organization that no one can see. Make sure that you have it in concrete, not into sand. And there's a lot. And I know I'm not doing this justice for the book, but it's a roadmap um, all the way from how to get volunteers, how to raise your first funds, how to set up your board of directors, how not to lose yourself in your pain work. Right. Heart work is hard work. How not to lose yourself. 
Um, and at the end of it, I, I dealt with the founder syndrome pretty hardcore. And so in the book, it talks about the founder syndrome too. Like you become less, they become more. Who's they? The community, the kids fighting cancer, our volunteers, our donors, so on and so forth. So incredibly impactful. And and I remember I started a nonprofit when I was in college called Safe Rides. I always say that I was the first yep. Uber developer. Yep. And uh, and they had a safe rides had a, a mirror that we also mimicked too. So really, they were. But in my university, I was, and it uh, felt nearly impossible. The only reason that it worked was because the people wanted it and needed it, right? And right. so we think through that when we start any sort of business. But ultimately, knowing that the nonprofit piece is people who either can't afford it or need it so desperately that they wouldn't even think to pay for it, right? Like when right. someone's going through cancer, the, the thing they're thinking about is medical bills and they're thinking about surviving and they're thinking about just keeping that tiny human alive, especially as a child. And so play, that's like not something that they're thinking through at all, I'm sure. Right. And so to have it come in uh, as a gift, to have it come in as a community development, as a family bonding experience, there's so many different ways that it can be built, especially with this on-demand experience that you have. I just think that there's the thinking outside of the box of why the nonprofits and why business in general both work, but it's the inner workings that make it nearly impossible. I think also making sure you have your values in line. Um, I know that I didn't do that for like two to three years. And one of the main things, again, for Rock Solid, when we hit that rough patch in 2020, in May or March 13th, is I went back to the values. Um, families first, theirs and ours. So theirs meaning child kids fighting cancer, but then ours is our staff and our team. And so, again, I want I want Rock Solid Foundation to be ranked one of the best places to work in the United States. No nonprofits ever held that standard before. Wow. But interesting. But I think just because um, you work for a nonprofit doesn't mean that you should be broke, that you shouldn't make money. Um, I make money. I will never apologize to be able to afford to take my daughter to dance, to pay for T-ball, right? So again, just because, and this is where my, my soapbox is, is like living for significance and success at the same time. It is possible. It is possible. And that was part of the passion behind writing this book is like, you don't have to be broke. I'm not a poverty gospel guy. You know, I like my sparkling water, right? So like, <laughs> exactly. I like my Starbucks. Like I'm, I'm a little bougie at times yeah, and it's yeah. okay. Yeah. But my heart, my cuss, I know exactly who my customer is. And I think having your values in line um, is one of the most important because values trump opinion all the time. And so people, as you start to grow this organization, mm. as you start, as you start to just develop some traction behind your idea, either business or nonprofit, you're going to have a lot of opinions coming in. But if you don't have your values rooted, then you're going to go any way that the wind blows. But if you have your values rooted, well, no, I, I hear your opinion, but my values trump your opinion every single time. I'm going to love and serve kids fighting cancer. I'm not called to help with the heart association right now. I'm not saying that one day I won't, but right now my values are no. Like, Families first, kids fighting cancer first, and then the staff family, then my family. So it's making sure that you have the values too, I think is extremely important. But you skip over that because you want to get to the mission. You want to get to like the building of the playset. But sometimes you got to separate the hardware before you build the playset. And the values are the hardware that takes a little bit of time to make sure you get it in line. But the prep work, right? The prep work just makes the, the passion come to life a lot faster. 
So talk us through, because as you're talking and you're talking about the profit, right, that piece of it um, can always also, it sound, even though you're talking nonprofit, it sounds like you're talking about the church at the same time. They, then the church is in that mentality of like, hey, you're a volunteer and you're a volunteer and you're a volunteer and you're a volunteer. And now you're exhausted in the church. You hate the church and you don't come back to the church right. because you were never actually seen, known or loved for the value that you provided. And it's not to say that they have to get paid, but I think that there is a critical part for the time investment that goes into these spaces and these places. And there's not that component of exchange for value. Talk us through like valuation and how you choose to pay your customers or not pay your customers, pay your employees yourself um, when you were kind of delineating what you were making versus what you were paying out. Yep. So one of our customers, so Rock Solid has four customers. It's the families first. It's the donors, it's the volunteers, and we just added our fourth pillar. Our staff is a customer, and we treat our we treat everyone like a million dollar donor, and that's one of the things that I truly, truly, truly believe in. I've been secret shopped by multi millionaires before, right? They drive a piece of junk Honda to our projects, and they want to make sure that we're treating everyone right. So again, like this will tie into the church part, I promise you, or the evaluation. And that was a very good question. And I love these types of questions. So I'm trying to make sure I'm very specific. I love it. But for, first and foremost, I think a staff, if you're listening to this and you have a staff of one or you have a staff of 15, looking at your staff as a customer changed everything for me. Because again, I treat people how you want to be treated, right? We can go through scripture and talk about all that. But then the evaluation of when and how much to get paid. For example, Rock Solid, I worked for free for the organization for four years. Um, with having cancer, they told me that the likelihood of me having kids is slim to none. Um, so I promised my wife that um, that my my if we ever had kids, right? I thought I was on a long leash. Right? <laughs> but I promised my wife if we ever have kids, their daddy will not be born into an unemployed household. Like daddy, daddy would work. Daddy's going to help try to provide. So little did I know that my wife had circled it and she was praying by faith that we had have kids. Right. And again, I was praying for it, but I thought we were going to adopt. So I was working for free while she busts out and I'm cutting the grass and shows me a pregnancy test. Right. And I'm like, I go and buy every single sample of pregnancy <laughs> tests out. I didn't realize how many pregnancy oh, tests were yeah. out there. <laughs> so I go and buy every single sample. We come back and lo, lo and behold, like we're pregnant. So I go to my board of directors, which I'm a board member, but I've never been chairman. I do believe in a total autonomy is not healthy for anybody. I need someone to help keep me in check. And that's why I've always been CEO and I've always had a chairman, not myself. So I go ask to get paid. Um, I asked for $24,000 for the year and my board said, no, we couldn't afford it. So then I said, okay backing down. Right. So I'm like, okay. I said, listen, we're just going to have to scale it back at a couple other job offers on the table. And then my wife and I went back and we prayed and lo and behold, Tamara, there was a lady that was secret shopping me. Um, and she was on the build site and she asked if I would like, like if I would come to her house, I'm like, all right, whatever. That's weird. She invited my wife and I, so we both went arrive at her compound in Virginia beach, like had no idea who this lady was. And then <laughs> oh, we're sitting there, we're having dinner and she slides me a check of $5,000, but it was made out to Eric Newman. Mm. And so in that moment, so hear me too, I'm about to lose my house and guess how much I owed on my house right around five grand. But I slid the check back because I told her, I said, the only reason you're writing this check 
is because of what I do for the foundation, not because of Eric Newman. I said, can you please make the checkout to the organization rock solid? So then what she does, she knew about the story of my board telling me no. She said, how much did you ask for, for your salary? I said, 24,000. She said, young man, I've never had anyone slide me a check back. She's like, I'm gonna pay your salary for the first year, $35,000. Come the check, on, Send it to the board, made out to Rock Solid Foundation. So the reason I'm telling you this, so how do you, we were probably, Rock Solid Foundation was doing about 130,000 a year. There's always going to, so nonprofits have this thing, overhead myth, right? And that's what it is. It's a myth. Now, you need to pay attention to where your income is. And each individual has a different threshold. That's a good thing, right? So again, um, but for Rock Solid Foundation, we try to stick with the 80-20 rule. And so 80 cents, Timmer, if you give me a dollar, 80 cents going to go to building a play set, delivering a ready bag, 20 cent will go to the overhead, if you will. But the overhead, depending on how you look at it, um, is fuel an overhead or is a staff an overhead, right? So each person has their different opinion on this. But I think from the staffing standpoint, you have to be able to lay your head down at night knowing how much you need to take from the organization. And when I say take, I'm, I'm saying that very loosely. What's your take home, if you will? Um, but I was losing my house. I was losing a lot of, a lot of sleep. Hey, you name it, I was losing a lot. But people took notice of the grind. And so we just try to stick with the 80-20 rule. And I know that's a huge roundabout answer. Um, but when it comes to the church, um, I do believe that um, people get burnt out. And this is what I like to say just from our community. We have thousands of volunteers throughout the United States. But appreciation, thank you, is a currency that you can give without ever running out of becoming bankrupt. Appreciation is a currency that you can give without ever running out of money. And I think we need to be experts at saying thank you. Um, but true, authentic appreciation goes a very long way. And I know that was a long answer. And I'm trying to make sure we oh, keep this conversation so going. Great. But that's it another really one of my is. soapboxes is like, yeah, it, it was that was the biggest thing. Getting out of my my head and my heart sometimes can be the furthest destination from each other. Um, but once we did that, so I made thirty five thousand my first year. But then the organization went from 100,000 to 300,000 because I was able to focus 100% of my time. Right, right. And I think that's a massive piece to it. And as an entrepreneur, especially a startup entrepreneur, you feel that. You feel that weight. You feel that burden. You feel that distraction. Um, it, it can feel like the only thing that you can pay attention to, even though there's so much right. more to the mission and you're still waking up for the why. It doesn't delineate the purpose um, but I definitely have felt that, especially as I've brought more team members on and I oh, yeah. value them with pay before I value myself because I know what I'm capable of. And I know that that burnout component, right, is is way less than where theirs would be because it's not fully their why. They can't see where we're going. And so right. they're only there for the next season, they're only there for the next season that I can paint the picture of and they can actually taste and see and feel. And I'm five, 10, 20 years down the road. And they're like, yeah, no, that ain't, I don't know what you're looking at. And so hey, that's my, my wife does that to me all the time. She's like, yeah. you talk in past tense. I'm like, <laughs> well, she's like, has this happened or has it happened in your brain? Because I'm like, well, I had this conversation with Tamara, blah, 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 blah. She's like, has it really happened or did right. it happen right here? And, and you're laughing because you know, like, when you have the gift of vision, right? We have to be careful yeah. that where I think I painted this masterpiece, right? I just threw a bunch of black ink on the wall, but in my head, 
it's this beautiful masterpiece yeah. and not everybody sees it the same way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, Tamara, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a, a beautiful, messy, ink blotted uh, gift, is what it it's a is. Masterpiece. It is it a is masterpiece. masterpiece. Yeah. We are the abstract art understanders, right? Like we get it. We're like, wow, that's amazing. And so yep. I'm grateful for that. And I'm also really grateful for the symmetry and people like yourself that I am able to sit and have conversations with where I don't feel like I'm talking to a wall and I don't feel like a crazy person. <laughs> Because you do get it. I'm with you. And you know, I know that there's this next step for you as you're you're sitting in this beautiful experience and watching what God has done over the course of the last few years and evolved the vision, right? And and knowing too that you have you have messages, not just months and years and many, many journals and not just this book. There's more books to come. I remember when we were sitting there and you were like, Do you mind if I write that down? And you told me this thing that I think is such a treasure and I think more people need to do it is that you become an expert every quarter at the thing that you're interested right. in. And to talk us through that, because I could share it, but I, I, it comes better from you. So I think that as a leader, right, I think honestly, and you, it's very popular to talk about leaders are readers, right? They are, which you always, you always have to be developing yourself, especially as an entrepreneur, especially as a business owner, just in general, I believe that you need to get better. Um, it's my job to become better around and then help everyone around me. Um, so what I found quickly on, like, I didn't go to college. Um, I barely graduated high school and I probably didn't read my first book till I wanted to start a nonprofit, tell you the truth. Like, so, and I hated all those books that I read. <laughs> yeah, they're so, boring. They're so boring. Yeah. Ugh, like, it was like, this is not keeping my attention. Yeah, article so, four of 17, you will. Yeah, four dash six, nine, A, B, F, six, seven. It's I'm the like, encyclopedia. I'm, I can't remember where it is at. Like, it's Leviticus, okay, everything. people? <laughs> it is, it is, it is. So I'm trying to make sure that I stay on point. So the the idea of becoming an expert every quarter is because I have found myself in a constant state of being uncomfortable, um, meaning like I'm quickly outgrowing the state of where I'm comfortable. And that's a good thing for me. Um, I think it's one of the most dangerous places for me to be is to become comfortable. Now, hear me. My wife is like, you got to learn how to ride the wave, right? I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about from an educational standpoint as Eric Newman as a leader, as a CEO, as a founder, as a just as a as a man of God, and this is how I do my scriptural side too. But from an expert side, become an expert at something once a quarter. Um, the first quarter that I ever tried it in was public speaking. Um, I read anything that I could get my hands on, listened to any podcast in in reference to public speaking. The next thing was this is going to chime a bunch of people: finances, financial buckets, P and L reports, budgets, all this stuff as it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up right now. But I needed enough to know how to hold my game in front of some CEOs that are very familiar with that type of stuff. Um, then I then I chose one quarter how to um, articulate vision. The last one, I think, when I was talking to you was self-awareness. That's the hardest one that I've ever done, um, self-awareness. And I, uh, Rockefeller has a beautiful quote on this of self-awareness, this, this old owl. And it talks about this old owl's perched up. He was a wise old owl. The more he saw, the more he kept his mouth shut. And in self-awareness, I think the more that I want to become self-aware, the more that I need to understand to keep my mouth shut, to listen with my toes, not with my not with my ears. But if I listen with my toes, it takes a lot longer for Eric Newman to regurgitate and try to add my value into the conversation. Um, but I think pick that something once a quarter. 
I don't have, I've never been diagnosed with ADD, but like I need some stuff to really focus in. And once a quarter, that's bite-sized nuggets that as a leader and as an entrepreneur that has a million ideas, I create also something called a parking lot. So when I have an idea and I want to become an expert at something, well, I can't do it right now because action without aim is exhausting. I throw it over into my parking lot. Mm, I love that so much. And I think actually when we were together, you might've just finished self-awareness because I think you were doing culture. I am. So that's what I'm in. Okay. Now. I can't remember. Okay. So culture is what I'm really dissecting right now. Yeah. Because culture is this like mystical thing, but I don't think in reality it has to be that way because pe- people like they love culture is a hot topic and you know, yeah, I love what's it, your yeah. culture? What's yeah. your, I love everything about culture, but not many people spend time on it because you can't see it. The return on investment is hard to show, right? So simplicity, it's one of our values at rock solid respect, simplicity. How do we take something as complicated as culture and how do we make it to a guy like me that barely graduated high school can take it, understand it and implement it into a problem that I'm looking to solve? Because that's what entrepreneurs do. That's what business leaders do. That's what people in general were geared to solve problems. So how do we make it simple enough that people can understand it? And that's why I try to do the expertise side. Um, But I'm definitely not always an expert. Well, it's really great because it does make you more of that whole person, right? I think experts, eventually you're like, okay, that's enough from them. Let me move on to the next thing. And you're allowing yourself to evolve. It doesn't mean you never touch that idea again, um, but it's it's so great. I love the financial piece because it was less about you and more about who you are going to become, who you were going to be in right. contact with to say, okay, I need to have some standing firm ground as I go into these difficult conversations. Um, and I, I think well, look that- at Paul, look at the apostle yeah. Paul. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I looked at. Him. I'm like, man, he was able to go into any type of, he yeah, could stand in front of the large leaders or the, or the people that were the drunkards in the pig pen. Right. Like I, was like, I have to be able to, for me, like I love and serve kids fighting cancer, but it's where I'm able to stand and show the love of Christ. And so I have to be able to be an act, not an expert, but to hold my ground in any situation that I have found that God has put me in. And I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off, but it is. No, it's, it's like so Paul. good. It's so it's good. Like it's such a good Paul. reference. The yeah, you're right. Or the yeah. preacher, either one. Yeah, I'll do both. yeah, they got it. Yeah, it's so true. And and I think that's why I love like that concept of pioneer and and why Anthony was speaking at the conference. That's exactly what he does. Like his dad was a he's a PK kid and. We can get so stuck on the rules and regulations of business and the rules and regulations of nonprofit. And we forget it's going to circle all the way back to the beginning of our conversation. We forget about the play. And if we're not willing to go and play with an idea for a quarter, play with a new book or a new author, even new religions, like I am Christian. I love Jesus. I'm sold out. But when people are talking to me about energy or frequency or something, and I'm like, why is everybody talking about this? What does that mean? Where does it drive from? What is manifestation? So I went on this journey biblically to understand what these other cultures are are unpacking and why is it so intriguing? Oh, huh, it's man-made? No, it's God-made. It's not universe. It's God of the universe. And so it takes that extra step of us and that extra desire to answer the questions, right? We, you said it, I think, well, that it's something about what's the quote about ask better questions to get better answers. And I think oh, that's yeah, what yeah, we yeah. lack uh, doing. Yeah. I, and I, I think too, and again, rem- reminding myself, because I think I'm, I think like, I think it's Solomon that said, there's nothing new under the sun. 
right? There is nothing yeah. new. Yeah, right. But the reality is what I think the job of a leader or an entrepreneur is not to create the wheel, but to put rims on it, right? You, mm. you don't need to recreate this thing. Good. You really just need good. to spruce it up. Take all the Uber, for example. Yeah. Take all the regulation. Take all the rules off the table yeah. and get people from point A to point B. Same thing with being a nonprofit. Like I am, someone called me the Johnny Cash of nonprofit and I was actually dressed all <laughs> black. I'm like, can you say that again? I but I want that. you to record it. Like, yeah, so I, good. But I think nonprofit is an old business. I do. Yeah. And I think it yeah. needs to be disturbed because there's so many regulations around not regulations not even regulations there's these made up rules that people have put into place that aren't really a rule or a law right. in general but that's a, again Tamara <laughs> trying to honor you in my time like this is my soapbox but but I think man as a leader as someone listening to this podcast like you don't have to reinvent the wheel because there is nothing new under the sun just put some rims on it and make it you because cover bands don't change the world that's the one thing that I have found is they do not change the world. If you want to play someone else's music, that's fine. I am not designed to do that. I'm just not like, I'm going to, I'll know the music you're listening to, but I'm going to beat a drum. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. But like, such a good I don't analogy. believe that cover bands, I don't believe that cover bands change the world. And I feel like that God put me in this moment to not just change the world for change sake, but because I see a way to solve a problem that has uniquely been given to me through the eyes of the creator of this world that is allowing me to help articulate the vision that he's given me. And I'm just going to pray and rely on his promise. Come on, you guys, Eric Newman, if we were standing in an arena right now, you would stand to your feet for that. Cause this has been <laughs> in my really, mind. I'm envisioning yes, that. Envision it. Take it. <laughs> I'm going to wave my white hanky towards yeah. you right now. <laughs> so incredible. Or, or snap my fingers, depending on what arena we're in. Um, but I really hope that people get this book. What hope looks like right? By Eric Newman, use your pain to fuel your purpose. And to know that you can, I think is what I love the most about your story right. is that it, it's nothing prim and proper. It doesn't follow the rules, but it doesn't go outside the lines too much. It's just this understanding right. of, of following where God says to go and being aware enough that when those moments, when those little girls, little boys or little passions come running your way, that it's God's reckless pursuit of who we are in order for us to recognize that it's time. And, and I yeah. really believe that it's time for so many incredible faith-driven entrepreneurs to stand up and rise up. And uh, standing in my arena right now, says Blair. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thanks for being here live, Blair. We love you. Thank you, Eric, again, for this incredible time. Where should people connect with you? Uh, then go to my Instagram at The Newman Experience. And also to buy the book, head over to Amazon. And if you buy the book, and Tamara, you know how important it is, please, please, please leave a review. Please, please, please. And I always used to get aggravated at people that would say that. <laughs> now you know. But now I understand. So yeah, go. you can go to the Newman Experience on Instagram. That's the best up-to-date place to find me. And then go to Amazon to purchase the book, if you don't mind, but also leave the review. And if you Tamara have, left one, so you gotta I did, one. I did leave one. I, I know how it works. Yeah. I know how it works. I, yeah. You guys have either um, corporate experiences or team builds or team leading experiences that you need. Contact Rock Solid. And if you're looking for an incredible speaker who is not just a speaker, but a storyteller and entertainer, um, you are definitely that. So I hope people reach out from a speaking perspective as well, because um, I will make more stages for you for sure. Uh, but I know that you're meant this to, is a to stage. share this I was message. Thought that it this is, is a stage. This is the most important state. And I have taken that nugget, Tamara. I love that. 
it is the most. So when I'm at coffee or if I'm speaking on a stage, like, or if I'm having this conversation with you, this is the stage that God has uniquely designed for me at this moment. And you taught me that. So I do appreciate that. That's a huge nugget, huge nugget for the takeaway. I'm so glad friend. All right, you guys be blessed, stay fit in faith. And Eric, we will see you again. See ya. Thank you. Hey y'all, it's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you. Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. By snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at fitandfaith underscore podcast or me personally at tamara.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.